0: This is jeff kober and we welcome you to this most recent podcast within the last 24 hours we uh, have posted two podcasts uh the last one we just posted uh was a look at over 70 different attractions, hotels, projects that are happening all at the Walt Disney World complex. We wanted to give you the full view of everything that has been named as being a incoming restaurant or store or uh, ride or boat or whatever coming to Walt Disney World. In this Disney at Work podcast, we want to look at the standards, the what I refer to as Chapix Four Pillars, for deciding theme park attractions. How did we end up with those 70 plus things that are coming our way? We want to take a look at that, and that's the purpose of our podcast for you at this time. Please note that we have a notes page, and it's available to you, and it outlines many of the things that we're talking about today, so check that out. It's available at disneyatwork.com. And also know that you can go to disneyatplay.com to see the notes page or to see the entire list of the 70-plus things, as well as, of course, the previous podcasts that we had done on that list of 70-plus. Let's, let's go into our topic today. Um, in this uh, experience of building Walt Disney World attractions... I mentioned in the previous podcast that I don't think I have ever seen a time and place in the near 50 year history of Walt Disney World where there has been so much building and adding and uh, even even in the Disney decade at a time when we were looking at um adding to downtown Disney and the building of Disney's Animal Kingdom and the launch of a lot of DVC projects and the building of the Disney Cruise Line, there is still probably more things being added on, being built on to Walt Disney World. Uh, This is a very unique time in the history and particularly for a property that is mature. I mean, it's almost 50 years old and so, how is it that we manage to get all these attractions? And why are we getting these particular attractions? That's kind of at the heart of what we wanted to talk about. Bob Chapek is responsible for all Disney parks and resorts worldwide. And over the last several years, he has emphasized that the parks, especially Epcot in its major redesign, be four things more Disney, more family, more relevant, and more timeless. I wanna dig into each of these four things, and then I wanna talk about examples of how these four pillars are applied. You know, Marty Scalar used to talk about the idea that um, the scariest thing is a blank sheet of paper to some people, but to others who have great imaginations a blank sheet of paper can can be wonderful because it offers you so many unlimited possibilities. Think about these four pillars as essentially the four sides of the page. Whatever happens on Disney World property needs to be within these four key criteria: more Disney, more family, more relevant, more timeless. Let's consider what each of those things mean. First, more Disney. Well, it's no new thing that Disney IPs have been the focus of a lot of recent attractions that have been uh, named and opened up across uh, Disney theme parks. Um, Intellectual properties or IP at Disney simply ranks above any other thematic property that is going to be built uh, within the Walt Disney World Resort. Um, The question Chapek I think brought to the table in a particular interview was, if our competitors could own this IP, would they be building an attraction around it? In fact, probably they'd be biting, uh, chomping at the bit to have the opportunity to build an attraction around it. So why aren't we doing it? So, JPEG has essentially said, look, if we have an opportunity to introduce a Disney intellectual property, and when I say Disney, I mean that could include Marvel um, to some degree, although it's limited at Walt Disney World compared to other theme- uh, Disney theme parks, but also Star Wars and um, Lu- other Lucasfilm properties and Pixar and Muppets and, and, uh, and so forth, um, Fox why shouldn't Disney utilize those IPs? They're familiar. Uh, people coming to the parks, they they get them because they've seen the movie, they've seen the TV show, they've seen they've seen it before. So they already come in with a level of understanding. In fact, in fact, it becomes marketing to come to the Disney parks and to experience it. So why not do this? Now, now in truth, this approach has not always been the case. at at Walt Disney World, or even throughout the entire Walt Disney Company. In the late 70s, early 80s, things were very different back at Disney. First of all, um, the the film properties and the intellectual property, or IP, that was being built by Disney at the time just wasn't happening. It just wasn't a successful brand. So even though... Imagineers were willing to think about building rides and attractions around island at the top of the world or around Fantasia. Um, It really, it was just really a struggle to, to really embrace spending that much money on a film property that just tanked at the box office. There was another sentiment happening in the late '70s, early '80s, particularly at the time Epcot was being designed, developed, and built, and that, uh, and that uh, perspective was that Disney wasn't very sophisticated, and so in building something like Epcot, it really didn't seem to make sense that you would want to relate the theme, the park's attractions to anything that was quote unquote Disney related. That's why when Epcot was uh, first opened, there was no Mickey Mouse. There were no Disney characters in the parks. Figment was created uh, out of whole cloth because um, because it, uh, it, it just really wasn't um, uh, something you would want to do. Uh, to sell Epcot. You wanted to you wanted to sell Epcot as a new century arising, sophisticated, educational, informative. And so you didn't include Disney characters. That has definitely evolved. And it has evolved to a point where now Disney feels like, hey, we have this plethora of wonderful Disney uh, properties and characters and stories and settings, we gotta be crazy not to use them. And that's why more Disney is the first of these pillars. The second pillar is more family. Um, A dark ride that takes people of all ages, like the Pirates of the Caribbean or the Haunted Mansion, should be more important than say a children's ride that caters largely to small children. For instance, uh, small wonder that in building out the whole new Marvel campus that's going in at Disney California Adventure, they have largely taken out It's a Bug's Land. Now, that's a cute little land, and I like it a whole lot. I'm sorry to see it being taken out, but one of the reasons why it's being taken out is because they put in children's attractions that, yeah, you could get into that... Um, that little choo-choo train, but it it just felt like it was entirely catered to preschoolers and not to the family in general. You'll recall, that's where Disneyland all began. It was with a father sitting on the side, watching his daughters ride the carousel and other carnival attractions and wondering, couldn't there be a place where... Parents and children could enjoy their time together. So clearly more family is what it's all about. Now, take it to the other extreme. And then you have the philosophy, which is every attraction, every ride should be a big thrill ride that, um, you know, just makes you go crazy. It goes upside down a thousand times. It goes zero to 60 a thousand times and all that kind of thing. Let's compete with six flags. But really... That's not Disney's brand. That's not its niche. Then there's the fourth pillar, which is more timeless. So being timeless should mean that you don't go creating an attraction where after a decade or so, it now suddenly looks out of date. And if you want to get people to visit or attend or ride it or experience it, you got to now load more dollars onto it in order to keep it up to date. Tomorrowland has traditionally fallen into this category. What is the future when a when a t- Tomorrowland ride or attraction or area was built suddenly became outdated over a short amount of time? Future World in Epcot also falls into this category. As much as I have loved some of the original attractions at Walt Disney World, such as Horizons, it easily becomes out of date. So you then have things like a film that's based on Canada or China. And the films are kind of interesting in themselves. They're very nice, but it doesn't take too long before that's that cityscape looks old or outdated, or it simply has, shows its wear. And so one of the challenges that attractions like the Canada film or the China film has experienced is that they become outdated. Now, the good news is it's not quite as expensive to update a film as it is an entire ride attraction. But still, this is an issue with something of this nature. Timeless may also suggest that an attraction like Peter Pan's flight can live on forever. But many adventures of Mr. Toad may not. People may not remember who uh, Toad is. And so when you have to weigh these things, timeless is part of, of the conditions of whether an attraction is a good fit for investment. Now, having looked at those four different pillars, more Disney, more family, more relevant, and more timeless, let's look at some examples that allow us to consider and weigh the importance of each of these four pillars. The first I want to put on the table is Frozen Ever After, mostly because this was the first big attraction to kind of go into World Showcase, which has traditionally been about countries and not Disney IPs to redo it completely and to put in what had become a very popular character. And I remember the first summer after Frozen had opened the previous holiday, for previous Christmas, how big the Frozen summer experience at Disney's Hollywood Studios was. I mean, they had, that's when the the Frozen sing-along show was introduced. They had a frozen parade, they had frozen food, they had frozen merchandise, they had frozen meet and greets, they had a frozen uh, skate, little skate park thing. They had all these frozen experiences and you just couldn't help but look at this and say, this needs an attraction. This needs to be part of long-term landscape of of, Walt Disney World and I frankly am very impressed that Disney moved as quickly as it did to create a Frozen attraction. I say that because let's consider for a moment Beauty and the Beast or The Little Mermaid. Yes, we put in shows at Disney's Hollywood Studios based on both of those attractions, but doing anything more of a ride or um, show experience is only recently come to be. In fact, the first Beauty and the Beast ride is finally coming to Tokyo Disneyland next year, and The Little Mermaid only only five, six, seven years made its premiere at Disney California Adventure and then Magic Kingdom. All those decades, I mean, at least two decades, had gone by where we didn't. The company didn't seize an incredibly terrific set of IPs and build attractions around them. So, going back to Epcot and Frozen Ever After. Maelstrom. People lovingly remember Maelstrom, but here's the truth. The attraction was losing popularity, and it was falling out of being that pillar we, were, we, we call relevant. In fact, the film was dated, it was no longer timeless. It got to be a situation where, at one point, they just opened up the doors to the theater and people just walked through. You could sit in the stands and watch the film, repeat itself if you wanted to. It got to a point where they didn't even run the film. They just let people walk through the theater. I mean, that's not how you want to run a Disney attraction. It had it had lost its relevance. It lost it, it, it was no longer timeless because the film was dated and it looked old. Um, meanwhile, Frozen was a big hit and uh, and it brought a Disney touch to an Epcot pavilion. Now, some may say, well, but well, wait a minute. Is a film about a story from Sweden, really relevant again, that pillar of relevant, to a pavilion that's really about Norway. But if you go back to... The original title of this pavilion originally it was called Norway: Colon Gateway to Scandinavia. So the attraction was never built to be a focus only on Norway. It was intended to be a focus, a, a gateway toward themes and stories about um, about Scandinavia. So it does kind of still have a relevance. And you know what? The new attraction is now with, since it's been open, it is popular. People love riding it again and again and again. It is far more timeless than Maelstrom. It's far more relevant moving forward. So yeah, I know some of us miss Maelstrom, but the truth of it is, is Frozen Ever After has really made the Epcot experience a better one. And by the way, I think the more people going through Norway, the more they become interested in the country. I love what they did to the little um, Scandinavian church they have, which isn't focused on uh, Frozen. It's actually f- focused on the mythology of Thor and other um, gods and and um, legends of that time. Of course, they have to ride a careful line because Marvel you know, is such at Universal Studios that you can't, you know, talk about Thor, the Marvel hero, but they are able to introduce those uh, legends and so forth. And if you go through that little church um, there in in Norway, you really actually learn quite a bit about about, um, some of the history and mythologies of of, um, the lands of Scandinavia. It works out quite well. Now, Secondly, let's go to our next example. We have about ten of them here, the Mary Poppins attraction that's been announced at Epcot. First of all, yeah, this movie is going to add a Disney touch to the u k pavilion. and And let me just talk about the pavilions at Epcot. There has been a criticism recently, and this is this is maybe me going on to an aside, but there's been a criticism with Disney's Galaxy Edge. Ah, you know what? If you don't, if you don't want to spend a ton of money in the cantina buying drinks, or if you don't want to spend a ton of money um, buying expensive souvenirs, there's really nothing to do. There's very little to do after you do the ride at um, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I see that point, but let me tell you, that has been the problem with m- many of the countries in World Showcase. If it didn't have an attraction and you weren't going to eat there, or you weren't going to buy something there, there was little that really held you in that country. And so I remember the first time I went to Epcot, and I visited countries like the UK Pavilion, and Italy, and Germany, and I just felt like, gosh, I I don't feel like I can really enjoy this I mean, the beautiful architecture and everything, but I really can't enjoy it unless we go eat something. Boy, it was all our budget just to get to Walt Disney World back in 88. We finally broke down, and last night we had dinner at the at the main restaurant in um, in Italy, and it was a nice dinner, but it's the same. It was the same problem, is the experience wasn't relevant unless you spent a lot of money. Well, what I love about the fact that they're looking to add attractions to World Showcase, it means that the that the country itself, the pavilion, becomes more relevant. and uh, And the movie adds a Disney touch as well. Mary Poppins is a Disney classic that has proven over 55 years to be timeless. Some people don't care as much for Mary Poppins Returns. In some ways, I think the movie... The second movie is actually better than the first one, but notwithstanding, you can't argue with the fact that the original Mary Poppins is a classic. It should have always had a Disney attraction. What has taken the company so long? Even if you don't like all the choices that Disney's current management is making, at least give them credit to the fact that they're looking to do something with a property that nobody has done other than stick them into the great movie ride for a total of 40 seconds. This is this is a fantastic thing. In my view, Then, and, and by the way, one of the inside scoops I've learned is that this is actually going to be a ride experience. Once you enter the house of Cherry Tree Lane, it's going to turn into an actual ride experience, a unique ride vehicle that I have not been... Um, uh, which has not been made known to me. But uh, my my uh, insider stories tell me this is a full-blown ride, not just a character meet and greet. Um, the newer version, though, of Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins Returns, helps make uh, having this attraction more relevant to today's generation. Maybe you as an adult didn't care for Mary Poppins Returns, but there are a lot of young people who will still love this ride 40, 50, 60 years from now. And making attraction for this experience allows the pavilion to be more family in nature. Again, I, I, let me just suggest to you that, um, and I, I think that, you know, we, we have enjoyed British Invasion and some of the other bands that have been there. I love the, the old comedy improv performers that used to be there. I absolutely love... Pam Brody, and then uh, who for many years was the lady who played the piano at the Rosen Crown. but let's take a step back from that and say, really, do you want to take your children to a bar to hear a great piano player? There needs to be another way to make this more family oriented, and I think this is that and and so I think it very much is living up to those four pillars. Now, let's step away from Epcot to another uh, park. I just mentioned the great movie ride. So let's talk about the removal of that. Not a fan that that attraction got removed. I love so much of that ride. I love the length of the ride. I love the classic films it depicted. I am a big fan of classic films, and there was just so much to love. However, there If you take these four pillars and you apply it against The Great Movie Ride, you can see some of the logic that was put into why they did what they did. First of all, uh, Disney didn't want to have to pay license, which they had to do for all the non-Disney films that were in there that belonged to other studios. Why have something there that you got to pay a license to when you got all these other properties that you could be putting in there or some other property you don't have to pay a license to? Many of the older films, God, I love love Casablanca. You should see Casablanca. But frankly, a young person going through there, they have no idea what that film's all about. It's no longer relevant. And so from that relevance point of view, it was, a lot of it was just getting lost. Love John Wayne, but who's John Wayne? Love Clint Eastwood, James Cagney, but who are these people? Some sections were frankly too intense for small children. I think time will tell that really it was a bad idea for us to put <laughs> Alien in the middle of this ride, a, ra- a, a creature from an R-rated film that was one of the most intense scary films ever made and we're gonna stick our small child in there. Talk about family and not hitting the mark. I mean, I just got used to it over time. It was, it was what it was, but really, some sections were just too intense for small children. A, a gun battle, you know, with all the shootings going on, it was it, do you really want to carry on with that kind of um, scene happening, whether you were in the gangster scene or the cowboy scene? Again, that relevance issue kind of plays out. Now, on the other hand, the addition of Mickey and Minnie Runaway Railway, well, hey, Mickey, talk about timeless. You know, it's, It's over 90 years old. He's not over 90 years old. He's the central icon to Disney. Talk about something that is relevant. The attraction is relevant to an up-and-coming generation who are currently watching these newer Mickey shorts that are a little crazy for some of us uh, um, baby boomers, but they're colorful and bright, and they create for a really great setting for what this attraction is going to be. The attraction's film... Uh, like experience could easily be updated to other kinds of experiences or something like that. And the attraction is clearly uh, designed for the entire family. So I, I will miss the great movie ride. No question about that. I wish they could have kept it and built Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway somewhere else in the park. All that said in the grand scheme of things, with those four pillars, you have to say there is some sense to why they did what they did. You may not agree with it, but against those four pillars, there is some sense to this. I want to take a, a an even more subtle example. Number five, um, the music on Hollywood Boulevard suffered from the same kinds of challenges. I love that score because you had songs like the The Overture from Sound of Music or The Overture from My Fair Lady or from Casablanca. These were cinematic scores, but they were not Disney necessarily. A couple of them were, but not all of them were Disney. And the old music was, again, falling, was not timeless. It was not something that newer generations knew anything about. The old music wasn't even relevant to the themes of the 1930s, which Hollywood Boulevard is actually, um, you know, about. You wouldn't have heard the, the theme from My Fair Lady in, in 1930s Hollywood Boulevard. Um, and the new music, now, mind you, the new music they've added has taken some Disney songs like Whole New World or, um, or Tangle um uh, the tangled song um, uh, about um, the light and so forth and they've but they've mixed them in um, in a kind of 1930s style uh, I see the light is that the name of the Boy, this is just driving me crazy but um, but they've mixed those songs in to keep them relevant and to keep them something familiar to people who are coming in. so I kind of I kind of see that by the way, I should mention go to five and dime and for some reason the engineers haven't replaced the soundtrack so if you like the old soundtrack you can just go shopping in five and dime and you can hear the old uh, soundtrack there but 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 that's again against the four pillars. That's probably why they decided to focus on changing out the music on Hollywood Boulevard. Now, here's one that's totally off the beaten track. Um, They have taken Meisner and what I believe was a a shop at Meisner's Lounge and what I believe was a shop at um, at, uh, Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa. And they have changed it, or they are changing it right now to be a Beauty and the Beast barn lounge. Now, there's a couple of things that aren't working for me, but let's let's see where they're kind of going for, from, where they're coming from this. Who is Meisner? Some people thought that was a take on Eisner. It's not. Meisner was a distinguished architect um, back to the turn of the century. was an architect that most people know, unless you are a real architect. Um, student of um, architecture uh and and so it was kind of a homage to meisner the problem with that homage is that meisner's architectural style was largely a mediterranean revival style something i would love to see in a hotel at uh, disney's Hollywood uh at um walt disney world or maybe disney's hollywood studios that would be a great uh style go up against um the Tower of Terror or something like that. But it is not relevant. Speaking of the concept of relevant, it is not relevant to the Victorian style of Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa, other than the fact that both take place in Florida. Beauty and the Beast is pure Disney. So I get that, but then again, it's not really tied to Grand Floridian style. So again, look at your pillars. Is this really your best? Is this your best approach? Making a bar styled after Beauty and the Beast does not make it family. Though, admittedly, with four saloons, and we have to see what it looks like when it's done, one might dedicate a section or two that's a little more family-friendly and away from the actual bar itself. So, at the end, the whole of it may may turn out a little more family-friendly. But, again, do you really want to tie... Beauty and the Beast. I mean, Disneyland's still reeling from the idea that they are serving their first, uh, they're providing their first alcohol location in Galaxy's Edge. And here we are at Walt Disney World and we're doing a bar based on Beauty and the Beast. That, the whole Disney family, that seems to be in conflict. And I think it's a great example where you have to say, are we really following, you know, are we really following these four pillars uh, as well as we should be? A much better example is the recent disney's coronado um, destino tower now um, th- if you're not familiar with disney's coronado springs resort uh it's always been highly themed uh a theme that is sonoran in style with uh, kind of a pueblo casita rancho style um which you know i've seen that play out in in hotels Nice hotels I visited in Scottsdale or in Tucson. But uh, here, it's it's a fairly tired look. And it does not really uh, invite convention business. Um, So it was really necessary, especially because they were trying to attract the decision makers who wanted a nicer suite or... Uh, accommodation to stay in so so they decided they would build a tower and do some remodeling on the whole of the complex and in doing so um they went with a theme uh built on the story that involves Walt Disney and Salvador Dali who back in the 1940s got together with the idea of perhaps building uh a f- uh, animated film together the result uh, was it didn't happen Uh, Despite a lot of work on both uh, parties part, it didn't occur until after Roy E. Disney and after Fantasia 2000 in the early 2000s kind of went back through this and took it on and actually actually built out uh, what is that film. And so they've taken that film and used that as kind of an overture to the themes that, of that tower. And that tower is more relevant and has a more modern look and a feel playing off of really what at that timeless Antoni Gaudi's work that you find in Barcelona, Spain. It, it is a brilliant, it's still very family, but they brought in Disney. They could have brought in Coco to that hotel, but that Coco would have been very Disney, um, but it wouldn't have been relevant to... The convention experience. So they took a different theme, and they've done it beautifully. And the and the results of this of this facility are just spectacular. The restaurants and lounges. It's a great place if you have a chance to visit it. Uh, It has done a great job of following those four guidelines. Now, how about Pandora, the world of Avatar? Now, remember when this was announced, the biggest complaint that it wasn't Disney, that it had nothing to do, it wasn't a Disney IP, it wasn't related to the Disney uh, films that are out there. Um, But in truth, it is now. It's part of the Fox acquisition. As a result, it's under the family of Disney. Um, Likewise, um, uh, it um, becomes even more relevant, uh, longer, because... Of upcoming films that are being created. Now, this is a problem with Harry Potter. Um, the original stories kind of came to an end, even though they've built out at Universal. They've still gone on to other um, similar themes, but uh, but here they still have more Pandora films to build, and so this is going to be a property that's more relevant uh, in the days and months to come, and the family. Styled attractions, both a dark ride as well as a uh, uh, soaring on steroids kind of attraction. It is so popular with families. In fact, um, I've been noticing that the um, wait times are still longer than Millennium Falcon uh, smugglers run. It's done really well, even though uh, people didn't know what the names of the... Uh, characters were in the film. It has done well and in many ways follows those four pillars. Now, mentioning all that, let's go to Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Star Wars is, of course, more Disney than ever because it's under the umbrella. So it fits that more Disney issue. Having a land that isn't equated with a location given film helps keep it timeless. Now, this is probably its biggest criticism. People are kind of disappointed that you get to it. and Well, I've never seen this in a movie before. I've never seen this land, this place. I don't relate it to Return of the Jedi or um, The Last um, Jedi or whatever it might be, whatever film. It's a totally new location. But the blessing of that is that if we had done an entire land built on Endor, people would have simply said... When it opened, well, I really like this. It's very cool, but man, that Return of the Jedi film, that's decades old. You know, why did they do something more contemporary? This allows it to be more timeless. It is creating attractions for all families, such as you would get with uh, Pandora or such as you would get with Pirates of the Caribbean or Haunted Mansion. So it's really done a great job. Now I will say it could involve children a little bit more. I think Trials of the Temple ought to be re, um, reimagined as a, an experience um, and put into this land. Um, but I have to say, if you ever go to Disney's Hollywood Studios, look at the show times for Trials of the Temple. There are more show times for that event than anything else in the entire. Uh, studio entertainment guide. That's because there are so many children who want to participate in Trials of the Temple. And it suggests that this property, i.e. Star Wars, is still very relevant and will be for each and every generation to come. For those who see this, I see this land being very popular 40 to 50 years from now, just as we've been celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Haunted Mansion. I think it will have that sense of timelessness uh, to it. Last example, very offbeat. But let me talk about the Skyliner, the minivan, and the tram. Now, Disney has had some problems with transportation. Heaven knows, I'd like to see some fixes on the monorail. I believe those are going to happen at some point, but I think that's a bigger picture. In the meantime, they've brought in other kinds of transportation options, and let me just say, it's interesting that even this, which is not a rider attraction or a land inside a park, even this follows many of the same guidelines that we've talked about. For instance, the Skyliner brings in the Disney look with its cabins that showcase different Disney characters. So it's more Disney. The minivan also is more Disney because it obviously plays on Minnie Mouse and even the new parking lot trams bring back the traditional and familiar Walt Disney World logo that was so popular in the 1970s again trying to create that um that uh more disney um more timeless look um to these now who knows what this this uh uh, the, for instance, the Skyliner will be like in 30 years. Will it be as timeless? But I think right now, it too is trying to play along these same, same kind of themes. So going back to what we were saying, more Disney, more family, more relevant, more timeless. To the degree that Disney does this, it really is going to end up creating a better park experience for guests coming to visit. To the degree it fails on any one of these points, it suffers all the more as a result. And so like the piece of paper, you kind of have to pay attention to those four edges because those four edges will keep you from going off, off, off your page, so to speak. Allow me to share, if I would, uh, if I could, some souvenirs for your organization because at Disney at Work, we like to say, how can we take all this that we talked about and apply it to your own organization? First ask yourself, what can you develop that your competitors wish they could build if they had ownership of it? How can you make your products and services relevant in the marketplace? How can you attract as many audiences as possible with the products and services you offer? How can you stay relevant in the marketplace? What standards or guidelines or pillars do you have in place to create clarity around you about how you build your products and services. Disney is no different than than Apple or Delta Airlines or the Mayo Clinic or Google. It has to be a certain identity and it has to follow certain pillars as to what makes it Google or what makes it Marriott or what makes it Apple and so it is for your organization what are your pillars what do you want to to build what are those things that you define that 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 clarify what your products and services should be well that's our disney at work podcast for the day i appreciate you joining us please subscribe uh, to our podcast so you can be alerted uh, we try to do a podcast every week um, either with Disney at Play or Disney at Work. So please make sure that you join us for these podcasts. We also have other uh, great things on our websites, disneyatwork.com, disneyatplay.com. Make sure you check out those uh, articles. We have Disney News on Parade that happens most every week, kind of showcase what's going on out there uh, throughout uh, the Walt Disney organization, particularly around the parks. We have uh, a great YouTube channel, so go and check that out. We've got lots of videos, make sure you subscribe to that so you're alerted when new videos come out. There's so many things we want to uh, offer to you, so please take the time and check us out. We're a young organization, but we bring decades of experience and insight about what works and what doesn't work, not only within Disney, but. Within your organization as well. So, thanks for joining us. Appreciate you being with us. And remember, follow the compass of your.